This is a Podfire production. This podcast may include explicit themes or swearing and may not be suitable for children. G'day guys, Brett McCullum here and welcome to Awesome Humans COVID-19 edition where we're recording from our home studio here on the Gold Coast. Uh, we're going to have some awesome guests over the coming weeks. Uh, today, whew, great way to start, right by the name of Dan McPherson. So uh, watch out, look out, we're going to get as much content out of there as we possibly can and uh, let's see how this all rolls. Cheers. I'm a bit excited about today's guest. He joined Mensa at the age of 10. He grew up in Cronulla, New South Wales, so hopefully he's a Blues supporter. He attended Sydney Boys High School. He ridiculously competes in Ironman triathlons. We'll go into that one later. He helps raise funds and awareness for important causes such as mental health, support for the Indigenous community, and most recently, the bushfire relief. He won a Logie Award for his role in Neighbours as Joel Samuels. He's hosted X Factor and Dancing with the Stars here in Australia. He's a world-renowned actor playing everything from a jockey in one of my favourite films, The Cup, to playing Jesus Christ on the stage in the UK. He's lived and worked all over the world, including London, USA and Croatia. And a small fact that not many people know, and we'll find out whether this is true soon, he actually used to live with Robbie Williams. <laughs> Hold on to your seats, listeners. This is one good-looking rooster and a sensational bloke. Welcome, Mr. Daniel McPherson. <laughs> Oh, mate, like that's, qu that's quite an intro. That's thank quite an intro. <laughs> Jeez, we'll get, mate, we've got a lot to unpack there. We've got a lot to unpack there. But, mate, thanks, thanks for having me. I feel honoured that uh, that you feel that I fit the criteria to come and have a chat today. And, uh, mate, I'm very much looking forward to it. Excellent, buddy. Well, what I do when I start this is we always start with the same first question. Take me All back. Right. What's your first ever memory? How far back can you go? <laughs> You know, I don't know if this is actually a memory or if it's a memory of a photo and I've kind of created a memory around it, but I remember sitting on uh, our front veranda uh, and I think the neighbours had a, a really big, shaggy English sheepdog and uh, and it was kind of a, I don't I forget if the veranda was our house or the neighbour's house, but we, I was born in, I was born in Sydney, I was born in Royal North Shore Hospital and I think when I when we were first born, we lived in Chatswood or Crow's Nest, and we pretty much moved to Cronulla within the first year of my life down south. Um, uh, so either we were going, I was a bit older, so I wasn't like wasn't my first year of my life, but um, I think we'd either gone back to visit our old house or we'd gone back. So I must have been, well, I don't know, maybe I was four or five or six, but I just remember this image. So maybe the image is, is actually a photo. I've seen a photo of that, and I remember that, but I, but um. It's about as far back as I go, I reckon. <laughs> it's interesting, isn't it, whether you actually think these memories are real or whether they're actually things that remind you of when you were a kid. It's, uh, I, I always find that a really interesting yeah, question. Yeah, absolutely. Because... Well, particularly in, in, yeah. Well, in my industry as well, I re I've discovered that I've got a, a, a photographic memory. And so, nice. so it kind of, which, which helps me as an actor. It's great. But, um, but all my, a lot of my memories are kind of, um, you know, snapshots and postcards in my, in my mind. Do you find that, that that's the reason why you were so smart as a kid, because of the photographic memory? Well, it's funny, you, you touched on the Mensa thing. I remember when they, so I was in, I was living in London. My, my dad got a job in, in the UK. So we packed up and moved to London uh, when I was just for my eighth birthday. So seven, eight, nine years old. And, and at school in the UK was when the Mensa people came around and, and, and did the Mensa tests, but I remember that a lot of the Mensa tests were about patterns and puzzles, and like which 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 pattern coincides with this pattern, and, and you know, which you know, why out of these four pictures, which two are, uh, have something in common, or, or 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 which you know which pattern is the next in the sequence and stuff like that. And so I was always really good at that. Um, so that, yeah, there's sort of been something visual in my in my mind for my whole life. You know, I'm about to turn 40, man. So it's it's taken like <laughs> it's taken me a long time to work this stuff out. You know, but there's but no grey in that beard. How can you be turning mate, 40? There's plenty of grey. <laughs> I look I look to the left or right. I look like Santa Claus. Oh, mate, that's why I, just, I, I sometimes <laughs> shave it off because of the same thing. Now it's really interesting because my daughter she um she had a photographic memory and she used to um make stuff up that so she didn't look as smart and. <laughs> I remember her, her teacher once said to us that, because I said, look, when she gets to school, if you read her a book, she'll remember it like verbatim. So make sure she's mm. actually learning. And she goes, oh, we've got special ways to teach kids that and all that sort of stuff. 
And she was saying that one of the kids there used to have such a photographic memory that the mum would ring and ask where she left the keys in the house <laughs> during the school day because the, um, <laughs> it's like, okay, then, fair enough. So, mate, we, uh, we're now, we're, we're just moved down to Cronulla, first few years of your life. Are you a Sharkies fan or what's the story there? Yeah, well, I was a Sharkies fan. I was a Sharkies fan. I, um, my grandfather was a massive uh, St. George fan. He helped build the St. George Leagues Club. Um, story goes that, that I used to get babysat by the families of, like, um, Brian Johnston and, and I had photos with Ricky Walford and and oh, wow. and um, Craig Young and all these all these old you know George legends, but uh, that that I don't remember. You know that was I was a bit too young <laughs> for that. But then uh, and then because we we're in Cronulla and all my school friends were were Sharkies fans. I remember my first game of footy was my grandfather took me to see the Sharks and the Dragons at Shark Park, and uh, which I think was. Bronson Field back then, or Endeavour Field, or something back then. I forget which name was back then, but but tell him. But he was cheering for the Dragons the whole time, and I, I couldn't quite tell him. I must have been, you know, seven years old, six or seven years <laughs> old. Couldn't I couldn't tell him. Tell him. I really wanted the Sharkies to go, <laughs> uh, and you know, I only drove past. I only drove past uh, St George Lakes Club on the weekend. Actually, coming back from visiting my mum, at a distance, of course, um, yeah. and uh, and. Uh, I just thought back to, to how much it meant to my grand, or would have meant to my grandfather to, to me to be a to be a dragon, and um, you know, being his first grandson and you know, his first <laughs> grandchild, uh, he must have been gutted, the poor guy. I mean, I was like, my old man was a uh, bulldogs fan all his life, and uh, he made us bulldogs fans. He dressed us in like when we were kids and stuff. So when I was about five or six, I made the decision to support Manly just to piss him off. And um, it worked well. <laughs> so, so there's these pictures of me as a kid in a Canterbury shirt and my uh, my old man sort of uh, hating life after that because I became a Manly fan. But uh, but anyway, so school life, mate, you moved to London, you said when you manly, were eight. A Manly fan, Manly fan. That's an, why, just go, I need to go back on that. But why, why Manly, mate? What oh, was, we grew what up on the there? central coast, New South Wales. So I grew up at the Did entrance. Yeah. And... Uh, Yep. And Manly was the most hated club by everybody. So that um, yep. that was the reason that, I went there. And <laughs> I was just one of those kids, I think. That's the way that one yeah. worked. Yeah, good. All right, good. <laughs> Tick that one off. Understood, understood. Indeed, indeed. So you moved to London when you were eight. How long were you over there for? Uh, eight, nine, ten. We came back in 1991. So it was just before, maybe just 10 or 11 years old. Um, we moved back. In, so we rented out our home while we went away. Um, you know, long before Airbnb was a thing. Yeah. You know, this is a while ago. And, and it was, man, I, I just remember flying back. Uh, I think we came home. We either came home via Singapore or Hong Kong. We stayed, you know, had an overnight stopover in one of those Asian cities. Um, but I just remember having my sort of first existential crisis at 10 years old or 11 years old when I came back. <laughs> and I was, I, was in my, I was in my backyard in Cronulla. And suddenly my whole other life was in, London, which was on the other side of the world. And I remember just sitting in the backyard with jet lag going, hang on a second. Like, I just left London and all my school friends and my life in London. And now I'm back in Cronulla and I'm on, we're all on this planet and the planet's round. So the, the plane flew us around the, the <laughs> okay. And I just remember I had to piece it together in my little 10, 11-year-old <laughs> brain. Pardon me. Uh, 11-year-old brain. Oh, exactly right. And and to this day, I'm still doing the same thing, mate. You know, I really, <laughs> I'm still moving around the world, still changing. I still don't know where my bloody home is and which suitcases in which town and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, but it, it certainly um, it certainly was the first in you know, uh, many, many sort of changes and transitions and travels in my life, but I, I had to get my head around it at a very young age. Did you find when you come back that your old schoolmates from when you were around that eight age before you left were still around or sort of that's a really transitional phase, isn't it? Yeah, and I went straight I went straight back into, yeah, I went straight back into my old class at, at Caring Bar Public School. I, I went straight back with the same um, same classmates. And it was weird. I, I um. They were all they were all really like pleased to see me. Like, like, <laughs> oh, Mac is back. And, you know, it's 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 sort of seven or eight years old. You kind of didn't realise that that um you had friends that cared that you're away and you came back and they were like, oh, you're back. And it was it was interesting. But I I certainly came back 
far more mature and advanced and um, worldly, I guess, um, yeah. than I left. You know, I really, like I was only gone for two years, but I, I felt like in terms of uh, the, maturity the maturity and the experience yeah. that it gave you at that age and those developmental years and those sort of, you know, preteen kind of warm-up years, um, you know, I, I was just, I, I was, I came back and, and, you know, the next year I was, I was school captain and I was, you know, going, doing the, doing the, the entrance test for like Sydney Boys High and Sydney Grammar and stuff like that. And so I just really, it was just a huge advance in, in my upbringing in terms of, I guess, my, my, what I was exposed to around the world. You know, I got to, we, I remember we went, we flew to, via Hong Kong on the way to London. We stopped in Hong Kong for a couple of, you know, I was eight years old walking around Hong Kong yeah. for the first time. Um, we, dad, dad had a month off and, you know, so we jumped in the car and we drove all around France, Italy, Switzerland for three weeks, you know, and dad's Peugeot work car listening to <laughs> new kids on the block. Cause I wouldn't make, wouldn't let mum and dad play anything else other than new kids on the block. Of course. Mum was like, I'm so freaking sick of this album. Mate. She knew every, every single word to the, the first album from new kids on the block. Um, hanging tough was the, was the, that big, was it. The yeah, love like it. that one. You might remember it. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, so mate, I, you know, I came back with a real, um, just a, a real, evolution in perspective and life perspective even at, at, at 11 years old you know so you went to caring bar primary school is that what i heard you say there i did i did I was, yeah i was I born in caring bar hospital no way <laughs> there you, you go really? i was we lived in East really? when i was a kid East Coast yep. and yep. my, my grandmother lived yep. there till she passed uh, a few years ago now but uh, yeah they were there their whole life at engadine yeah so. Very right, close, these, these scars, these scars on my arm are from crashing my bicycle down Waterfall Hill at the National Park, just past uh, Heathcote <laughs> down there. There you go. There you go. Hey, that's a small world, my friend. That's a small world. So you went to Sydney Boys, was it Sydney Boys High School? Yeah, I went. I ended up going to Sydney Boys High. Yeah, I did. Why? I did. What was the What was the big um, mum and dad's decision or something you wanted? Uh, no, my my um, I went and did all the sort of selective schools entry exams and whatnot, and I and I kind of we yeah, had High and Carrigmore High and, and plenty of good schools down near home. Um, but my dad was a Kiwi; he was a big rugby man. He wanted me to go and play rugby, um, in at one of the GPS schools or, or with one of the teams in in town. I was still playing club rugby down in Cronulla. Um, my dad was the president of the local rugby club at the time. Um, so it was a real, it was just a real focus on sports and academic in terms of an education that um that we will that i was keen for but also my parents were keen to have a um a little bit more disciplined and well-rounded education because i you know i was too i was pretty ambitious back then too and and um so i ended up getting into sydney boys and the sydney grammar um through through all the entrance exams and I'll never forget the look on my dad's face because Sydney Grammar was was a, a private school. Sydney Boys was a GPS school, but it was a state school, so he didn't have to pay. And um, and when I said to my dad, oh, you know what, man, I'll just go to Sydney Boys. You save the 50 grand a year. It's fine, you know? <laughs> and he was like, uh, 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 really? <laughs> yeah, I didn't have to pay that much for school. Like, I'm just going to go and learn and, and do my thing anyway. Like, yeah. You know, and he was like, "Oh, well, um, uh, sh- sh- well, if that's what you want, son." <laughs> and he's going, "Yes, yes." <laughs> I mean, I think he went and bought himself a new car. You know, so, it's like he must have been. Uh, I've never really spoken to him about that, but uh, he must have been. So at school, what were you? Good, bad, ugly? Were you a jock? Were you a nerd? Were you a naughty kid? What were you? No, I was. Um, I was. I was kind of a bit quiet, actually. I, I wasn't one of the cool kids. I wasn't in the the first or second 15 i wasn't in the i played sort of oh, i played 13 a's 14 a's 15 a's rugby um so i played all right but i was i was pretty small i wasn't super big um and because i was a year young uh for my years i'm born born in april so i was at least six months mm-hmm. you know younger if not more than, than a lot of the guys in my age in my my years so um no man i i uh i didn't start running or or doing anything endurance based uh until sort of year year eight year nine so so when i got there in year seven i was a little fat kid um and i was i was the opposite of a jock you know i was um <laughs> i was i was the opposite man i wasn't one of the cool kids at all i was i was a little you know fat nerd in the corner and um and uh it, it took me you know that was again that was another 
couple of big years of change where I discovered triathlon around that time and the age from 12 to 14 I went from being a you know chubby little long-haired sort of surfy kid to 14 years old I had a six-pack and was it was trying to get into the New South Wales triathlon team as a junior you know and why, things why triathlon? how did that happen uh because my rugby coach down in Cronulla uh John Holt also ran the Cornell Triathlon Series. He started the Cornell Triathlon Series, which okay. is one of the longest running and most successful triathlon series um, in in the in the country. And so my dad raced, and then I used to play footy. Holty's son Dane was was in my football team, and and in the year behind as well. So so we used to train and 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 uh, and work and race together. So they had the the, the kids race on the. The kids' race was on the Saturday afternoon. The adults' race was on the Sunday. So my dad would race on the Sunday morning and, uh, and I would race on the Saturday afternoon. And about our genetics, we are, we are not triathletes. We are not runners. <laughs> my, dad's, my dad's a big lad. I, mean, I, was, I went from prop to hooker to breakaway to scrum half over four years in the rugby terms. So I went from that <laughs> to fat kid in the front row to the smallest kid in the team. My dad is a big man. He, he's not built for for endurance sports but but we were we both got out there and gave it a crack but we certainly weren't um genetically predisposed to endurance sports that's for sure but uh but it worked well it worked i had a, I had a great time i met a lot of great mates and that and that sport uh, i stayed in for a long time and in and out of up until probably about five or six years ago um just because it was it was as much you know, lifestyle for me. I loved, I loved the training. I loved the travel that came with it. I loved the people that I, I spent time with, um, you know, and, and it was a gradual progression for me to slowly pull, pull myself away from a sport that I've been doing for 25 years to, um, to really focus on my career in the last five years. And did you find that, so did you find your niche, would you say that, or did you find your alternative to the sport that dad wanted you to play? Um, in terms of triathlon to rugby yeah. or, or in... Yeah, tell yeah, me, you're, look, so you're I, um, 14 years old, you got your six-pack now, you're pretty good yeah. at this stuff. Did you do that out of... Yeah. Uh, because you to, had to? Um, no, I did that because I really enjoyed it. I, mm-hmm. I did, and also it was... Again, it was outside school, so I didn't, I didn't really gel with the school, you know, yep. or at that school. I enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed going there. I got what I got out of it, but my best mates were... Well, my triathlon buddies in, in Cronulla and the okay. guys that I'd swim Makes with sense. and go and hang out with them on the weekend. So my, so my life was outside school. Um, I was still playing club rugby outside school. Um, but then I did try, you know, I did try in like year, 10, year 11, year 11 and 12 to go back to rugby seriously um, and, and try and play first or seconds. And I, and I, I, I went and did a preseason and I got picked as hooker, as number two in the, in the second 15 at Sydney High in year 11 which I, you know, then maybe would have progressed to play first 15 last, yeah. the, the next year in my final year. Um, and I got in there and I was back in the front row and these guys were huge and they're all <laughs> at least, you know, 12, 18 months older than me, especially the year 12 guys. By that point, they were, they were you know, some of them were two years older than me at that point. They're fully grown um, men. Right, fully grown men. And I'm still, mm. you know, I've spent the last four years running around doing cross country and triathlons. And it only took a couple of goes on the scrum machine in the front row to realise <laughs> I didn't want to. I didn't want to be there anymore. I just, I just did not want to be there. And and the old, you know, there was just as soon as you hurt your back once or twice, you know, yeah, it's all over. Gets whacked in the wrong way. It's like I'm not doing this anymore, guys. I'm sorry. And uh, and so that was it. I quit. I quit rugby. Uh, the beginning of the set. I mean, I don't quit a lot of things, you know. But I, but for that, it was like my heart's not in it. I, I could try no, and enough. do it. But but my heart, um, my, yeah, I just didn't want to be there. I tried, I tried, I gave it a crack, and I reinforced the decision, which was, I'm done with this sport. <laughs> so during all this time, like when you went down to Sydney Boys High and that sort of stuff, what did you yeah. want to be? What what was the what did what did Dan McPherson or Macca from the Triathlon Club? What did yeah. you want to do? Uh, I I didn't know. I thought maybe I'd just follow the the regular path and go and study something really like middle of the road like economics or business yeah. or you know my dad's a good businessman but like going well, I guess I'll go to university because I don't know what I want to be so I might as well just go and keep studying and you know Sydney Boys High is is a very a very um high level academic high school so you know I got I got 89 point something as my final 
year mark, you know, year well, 12 that, mark. And congratulations. That, you know, I could have got into a, a, lot of, a lot of things. But mate, look, I, there's a funny story about that. And we'll get to that later. But I really <laughs> pissed around in the last couple of, yeah, last couple of months. I mean, I really should have done better. <laughs> but also, like, but, you know, like, like triathlon was like, and also like I, I kind of, I, I didn't care, you know. I, maybe I didn't care, but I just knew that, I knew that my life wasn't going to be determined by a number at the end of school. Yeah. And, and so at Sydney boys high, we, you know, we'd historically been, you know, top 10 schools in the country, top 10 schools in the state, whatever, all that, all that statistic stuff. So, I mean, there were, there were three guys in my year that got 99.99, you know? Wow. And so, so, so if I was in the eighties, I was like in the bottom, bottom half of the year. I was mm. probably in the bottom third of the year. Like I was underachieving. Um, but, but, but it certainly gave me a lot of opportunities and, but look, I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I, I sort of said, well, maybe I'll just go and apply for uni and uh, do just study something like that. Maybe, maybe one day I'd end up in like sports marketing or in, in something around business and sport. And, yeah. you know, I had good, good, good relationships. And I'm, by that point I was, I was a good communicator and a good people person and, and a lot of, um, my time in triathlon had introduced me to a lot of sport and, um, and I thought maybe man, I'd end up, who you knows, I'd be a sales rep for running shoes. I don't know, man, but that something like that. Had you done any acting or any commercials or anything before this? I'd done not a thing. No okay. acting, no drama classes. Um, I'd had no interest in it. <laughs> uh, I just, it just wasn't on my radar at all until I was 16 years old. And even that was an accident. Yeah, no, I, I read somewhere so, yesterday when I was doing some homework because obviously I, I really yeah. look into this stuff. Um, is that you got plucked out of a triathlon to become a triathlete in neighbours? That's that was pretty much as much as I got out of my homework. That's uh, that's that that's that's what that's what happened. That's what there happened, man. So it's um, <laughs> year eleven, uh, year eleven at high school, the end of two thousand and end of shit. Hang on, where was I? When I finished ninety seven, Um I so I was going to go off and go to the New South Wales Institute of Sport uh, for a talented athlete identification camp as a triathlete you know, mm-hmm. with a bunch of my mates from Cronulla and, and my coach was the New South Wales coach and it was all looking well for, for me to keep going into, into that world. And I got chicken pox and then glandular fever one after the other. So oh, for five or six handy. months, I was a mess, man. I was a mess. So it was year 11. It was, um, it was, a, it was, it must have been just after the scrum machine back <laughs> quitting footy time. Nah, I'm going to go back to triathlon again. And so, you know, it was going really well. And uh, mate, for five months, I was just, I was a mess. I, I couldn't, I couldn't get out of bed without getting sick. Um, I, I just, my body was, and look, maybe from pushing myself so hard during those teenage years. I mean, even I look back now and I go, well, actually I was doing club rugby, school rugby. I was studying hard. Um, I was racing triathlons outside of that. Um, I mean, you know, I was, I was a teenager, you know, yeah. I, I should have been six foot four, mate. I was just, you know, except <laughs> I was just training so hard that I've ended up, I've ended shrunk. up you know, stunting my growth through all that. <laughs> yeah, I shrunk, mate, you know, and uh, I missed my major growth spurt, surely, because I was training so hard when I was 15 years old. Um, so I, I met a, I went to work as a, as a, I went to, I went to work as an official at this triathlon series, John Holt, my rugby coach, ran yeah. in Cornell to earn, you know, 12 bucks an hour or 50 bucks total for a weekend, I think, with some to direct cyclists. Yeah. I'll take that. That's a lot of red frogs. Um, and, uh, and the guy I was stationed with was an acting manager. And he said, hey, you ever thought about trying acting or modeling or rep a couple of actors? Would you be interested? It's like, oh, yeah, sure, cool, whatever. I never rang him. <laughs> and um, three weeks later, he rang my parents. He was like, hey, you, I met your son. We had a chat about acting. He was going to call me. He never did. I'd be really interested to, to have another meeting. So mom, and, and also, he rang my home phone. I mean, this is 1996. Yeah, yeah. He rang the home phone at like 8 o'clock on a, on a Monday night. Like It was that professional hour where like it's not just a, hey, how you doing? It's like, remember the, the, the old home phone etiquette? Oh, yes. definitely. You know, just uh, finished dinner. Dad sat in his chair and now you're ready to go, who's on the bloody oh, phone? Why are they ringing me the bloody phone? <laughs> exactly. Hello? Yeah. Um, what do you want? Well, I want to speak to your son about, I actually want to speak to you, the parents, to see if you're interested in allowing your son to come in for a meeting and do an audition for us at our agency. 
Oh, shit, okay. So we went in and, uh, and they sent me a, a script from Neighbours, not not the audition script, just a, a script from another scene, from an old scene. And I sat down at a coffee table with this man who I'd met at the triathlon, Stephen, and his boss, Mark, and my mum and I, and they gave me the script and we, we read the script and they kind of looked at each other and I said, look, you, you're pretty raw. Meaning your shit. Yeah, no, um, no but, shit, Joe. But, yeah. but uh but I had a crack and they sent me off to the acting classes after school instead of going swim training. And then throughout year twelve I um I started auditioning for little bits and pieces and one of those was neighbours. Um and then I got the job on neighbours. I got the phone call the night before my second last HSC exam. So oh, I just really? gone head down. I was I was going to go get a job. My mates worked up at Rebel Sport in the bike shop up there. I was going to go get a job at Rebel, um, and so I got the phone call saying, "Congratulations, you start in February in Melbourne on you know eighteen month two year contract on Neighbours." I was like, I was pretty shell shocked. I was like, "Shit, what? I mean, I'm going to move to I'm going to move to Melbourne. I've never been out of home. I'm 17 <laughs> years old. I've never never been to Melbourne. I don't know anyone in Melbourne. I've never yeah. acted. I've never been on set before." I just remember the first thing I did was I went out and washed the cars. I just was like, <laughs> mum was like, like, I didn't go celebrate. I was just so shell-shocked. I was like, oh, I'm, like, I'm just going to go wash the cars. And so then, so then I told my mates that night and we went out every night, Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night. My last exam was on Monday, did that. Went out Monday night as well. <laughs> so basically my last two exams just like went out the window. So all my marks were like, 85, 90, 95, 94, 95, 90, like 60, 40. It was like they were, you know, just it all, it all went out the window. I don't need, I don't need. I got my career number. now. Who I don't need to see. Uh, I'm going to be an actor, darling. And um, and off I went to start Neighbours. So yeah, man, that's, that's how it all it all worked out. Wow. So you're 17 years old. You moved to Melbourne on your own. Who'd you move in with? Uh, my dad bought me a Mitsubishi Magna, an old Mitsubishi Magna. Nice. We packed it up with everything I owned and we drove down to Melbourne and we drove down the Hume Highway. We hit Flinders Street Station. We drove down Sydney Road, Flinders Street, hit Flinders Street Station. And which way did we go? I don't know. So we turned right and left. We drove down Bay, down Bayside. We got to Frankston. Uh, I think we've missed it. Yeah, <laughs> I think we have missed it. All right, turn around, go back. We stayed the first night. Uh, in the Beaumaris Bay Motor Inn on just down Bayside there. And then the next day I moved into my manager's sister's um, granny flat out the back in, in Hampton, uh, sorry, in Hyatt, a little place called Hyatt. And eventually, and I started work a week or two later, my dad drove, my dad flew back to Sydney, left me down there. Um, and and uh, about six or eight months later, uh, my two best mates from, from Sydney moved down. We rented a house together and, my poor grandmother had just gone into a nursing home at that time. So we, we plundered all the old furniture from my grandmother's house and <laughs> moved it down in a trailer. To so we had these three guys are all 18 living in his party house in Melbourne with all my grandmother's old furniture. So whenever people had come over, they're like, what the fuck is this place? <laughs> oh, I love it. So you're 17 yeah. years old. You lived in a granny flat of some person you don't even know. And then you move into, mm. oh no, you move into Ramsey Street with all these people that yep. you that, did you ever watch it beforehand? Did you know who these people were? Uh, yeah, yeah, I did. I mean, randomly I'd met Brooke Satchwell and I'd met Jesse Spencer and a couple of people. They, we all had, um, we all shared managers. So I'd met them randomly uh, pre previously, but not knowing I was going to start the show. So, so mate, to, to say that I turned up to work and had no idea what to expect or, or what I was doing would be just a gross understatement. I, I just, oh, really? I had, I was so under under prepared but but actually in a good way because i just went there with a completely open mind i was completely unaware of the expectation or the pressure that was on me because i just i didn't know i, yeah. I was i was like just turn up and do it and do the script and sit there and i had no idea what i was doing and there was a, a beautiful um there was a, a a freedom and a bliss in the in the unawareness of it all you know and I remember that, you know, my first couple of episodes went to air and some of my friends rang up and they're like, you're always smiling so much. Like, <laughs> you just look like, you just look like you're stoked to be there. And I was like, I was. <laughs> yeah. well, that's a good way to do it. And do you find that you've done that through life now pretty much all the way is just sort of embraced it? 
Is that yeah? You? That was that was a one. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it was it was it was a great lesson for me early on, just to just to take the leap, take the leap, see what happens. You know, and for me too, the worst thing that could happen was I crash and burn. I do my I do my eighteen months on neighbours. I move back to mum's house or mum and dad's house in Sydney, and I go back to uni, and I've had this amazing experience. And that and that was sort of my mentality towards the first decade of my career. It was like this is all this was a, this was luck. You know, yeah. this was a novelty, and now I've been doing it for ten years. And again, if it all goes to shit, I, I go back home and I go back, get home, back go to uni and do what I do. I, exactly. Yeah, cool. And and for for ten or fifteen years, that was I was living Plan B. You know. Yeah. And and there was a real. I had to make a choice at some point further in my career where, hey, guess what? This isn't a novelty anymore. This is actually your life, and this is your career. And and there was a sort of a shift when Plan B became Plan A. Is yeah. that when the oh shit moment happens? <laughs> yeah, I feel like I've had a sequence. I think in the entertainment industry, particularly as an actor, you, you, you have many, you have many, many oh shit moments, you know. <laughs> and and uh, so I, I kind of feel a little bit like I'm, like I'm kind of living the DMAC 3.0, you know, like I've yeah, cool. neighbours and that and that early bit was 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 part one, and then. And then there was a shift where after London, I came home and I went back into hosting and I did, you know, dancing and X Factor and stuff like that. And that was the city homicide and that was sort of 2.0. And then I had to, I decided I wanted to make a big 180 in my life and in my career. And I wanted to go to the, the US and I wanted to get back to acting and I wanted to do acting as a, at a very high level. You know, I looked around at all my old triathlon buddies or my school buddies or people I'd known growing up at age, she's a few years ago now at age 35 and gone, Oh wow. We've, we've all of my friends and all the people I've come up with of my similar age are all at the, the very top end of their careers now. Yeah. They are. If they're, if they're, you know, I remember one of my buddies came second at the Hawaiian Ironman. Oh, I was nice. like, shit, Luke's, Luke's, um, Luke's done it. He's he's right there at the pointy end of of the best of the best. Or all my friends were playing the leads in in big shows or in big films in 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 America. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't a comparison. It was just like, oh shit, man, you've you've been just doing a lot of everything. You know, going back and racing triathlon, doing hosting, doing TV, bit of everything. Well, it's time to get serious and pick one and really kind of. Um, you can be good at a lot of things, but I wanted to be exceptional at one. And so that was when I, when I had that oh shit moment of going, no, I've, I've got to get rid of a few things to reallocate my energy and focus to becoming exceptional at one thing, because I know that will serve me better long-term in my career um, than, than doing a lot of things very well. Or and a lot things, of things well, do one thing very well. Is that the day you reckon you become an actor? Um... Because you've been pretending for ten years, haven't you? Really? Yeah. Just winging yeah. it. No, look. No, that decision probably came. Well, yeah, maybe, maybe it did. Maybe there was a series of progressions because there was when I was on like City Homicide back in in the two thousands, and and I'd done. I mean, the moment I decided I wanted to act for a living was was on stage doing Panto in the UK when I was doing Neighbours, and I was sick to. Like I was sick with the flu. I couldn't get out of bed. I was horrible. I hated myself. I hated life. I couldn't sit up without wanting to die. You know, it was one of those flus. One of those man flus. A man flu, yeah. And, yeah. and oh man, I was just a man flu, but in the north of England, yeah, um, a long way from home in the middle of December. Um, but then you jump out on stage that night and you're in front of 1,500 people singing and dancing and making a dick of yourself. And and you go, oh, wow, this, this is fun. Like I don't, I don't feel sick any for, anymore. I feel fantastic. Oh, that's it. I want to be. I want to be an actor, you know. And, and and that kind of euphoria and that buzz and that rush was 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 strangely um strangely compelling. And so then there was a series of sort of decisions where I think when when I when I really decided that was um you know I had to I had to quit hosting. I had to quit anything that was distracting me or holding me back from giving acting my hundred percent focus and so that decision kind of came truly around 2013 2014 when um, i've been in america for a little bit i'd um i'd not been working as much as i wanted to in america i was still hosting one series of dancing with the stars per year to to financially keep us um keep us going in the in the u.s both my wife and i 
Um, it was my, my fiance and my girlfriend at the time. And, um, and then of course I was over there and I was, cause I was, I was earning quite well at dancing with the stars. I'd go back to riding my bike in Malibu. I'd go back to running <laughs> in Santa Monica and I'd go, I joined a swim squad. And next thing I know, I won the amateur division of the LA triathlon and then I qualified for the world championships again. And then I wanted to go race Ironman again. And then I went back and raced the Ironman. I was like, hang on a second. You came over to here to, 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 to be an actor. And all of a sudden you're spending all your time back in triathlon. So I got to, I went back and raced one more Ironman in 2014 in Germany and I got off the bike and I was halfway between a 24 K into this marathon in Bavaria and it was 35 degrees and just the wheels fell off and I'm, I'm, body heat went through the roof and I was seeing stars and my legs hurt and I hated everything about it. And I just stopped and went, why the heck am I still doing this, man? Why am I still doing Very this? Cool. I, I'm living, I'm living in America. I'm sacrificing my Australian career that I've worked so hard for to get to where I am for so long. I'm away from my friends and my family and all this stuff in LA trying to crack it in the States. You know, I'm still dicking around, running around with my mates, you know, <laughs> in lycra shape in my legs. Fair enough. And so I, I, uh, I quit, I quit triathlon on the spot, pulled out of that race <laughs> My wife found me in the medical tent getting three liters of IV fluid, so it may have been a hallucination. Um, and then I drank two steins of German beer, and uh, we flew home a week later, and I put all of that commitment and effort that I was putting into racing Ironman into my acting, and I went and got a new acting coach, and I went and started reading a lot more stuff and training a lot more stuff and working with a new vocal coach and an accent coach and just left no stone unturned with the obsessiveness that, with which I was racing triathlon. Yeah. applying that to my career and I got my first American job within three months and wow. haven't stopped, haven't stopped working since. So That's that awesome, was a man. wonderful lesson and just, yeah, cheers, man. Thank you very much. It was just a wonderful lesson of, I was so close. I was, I'd been, I'd been working hard. I was coasting along, but I really just needed to crank it up just an extra 10 or 15% to really crack through and, and achieve my goals and break through to where I wanted to be. And, and that's a, that's a wonderful, that was a wonderful lesson. And that's, uh, look, that's something that anybody can apply to their lives. You know, if you keep at it, absolutely. And sometimes, always. yeah, totally, totally, totally. And, and look, the thing with hard work is that it will always pay off. It may not just be when, you want it to, or what you want, how yeah, you, yeah. It, it will always, it will always pay off, but you might be working hard to, you know, to keep, to keep using the triathlon analogy. You may be working hard to win a race or to qualify mm. for a world championship forever. and you work hard for six or 12 months and you don't achieve that goal. Now that 12 months isn't wasted because no, that exactly. journey to get there is incredible. You might then go out and go to another race and qualify for something else. And, and it will always pay off. It will not go, you know, un, unrewarded uh, in some capacity. Um, and we as humans think we know or, or can control what that reward and what that outcome is going to be. But but um, I think once you let go of the of holding on tight to an expectation or an outcome, um, life changes. And, uh, and that's certainly been a lesson for me. That's so true. It's so true. And it's something that, that our kids could learn, um, that if they just keep trying hard, uh, it may not be the thing that they aimed for originally, but they'll get there in the end. Yeah, and there, and you will get rewarded, man. And then, yeah, hard work, hard work. It was instilled into me by, by my father, and and I'll certainly um, instill that into my son. Do you um do you find going back to the neighbours side of things is that a a good thing, a bad thing? Do you see it as a obviously back then it was a positive because it was a job, but mm. has that been a stigma against you at all throughout your career? Um, neighbors, neighbors obviously taught me a lot. That was my version of drama school. Um, yep. and it taught me about, you know, we're shooting in some big days, you're shooting like 10, 12, 13 scenes a day, you know, it taught me a lot about being prepared. I remember Anne Charleston who played Madge, you know, one of the first things she taught me was like, if you're here, if you arrive on your call time, you're late. So, oh, okay. Okay. And that's something, you know, that, no, no one's going to argue with Madge. No one's arguing you know? with Madge. Yeah. Um, you know, and that was, um, you know, they're just lessons in the industry that serve you for the rest of your career. You know, um, it taught me about uh, publicity 
be about you know being being um, part of the publicity machine for Channel Ten back in the day. It just taught me about professionalism on set and just getting in and working at a fast pace and being part of a big machine. If you let the machine down, the machine stops, and you've got to you know you to be part of a team on on that set, mm-hmm. you know. And so I learned a lot, but then yes, it yes I did have to break that stigma, but also I had to break that stigma. It wasn't a stigma. I just don't think I was. I just don't think I was that good. You know, like I. Oh, you're a seven eight year old football player. You're a total athlete. What, yeah, you're exactly. Not an actor. You know. Exactly. And how, how does that feel when you then win a Logie for it? <laughs> what happened there? Well, well yeah, even, even, even in hindsight, you go, well, that was, that was just because, you know, I was, I was a little blonde surfy kid on television, pretty boy, having the time of his life with his mates Love and it. taking that energy on screen and off. Like, of course, of course you turn on your telly and go, oh, that guy's cool, you know, because yeah. he's having a ball up there. And I was having a ball. And, and there's a lot to be said with that, you know, for the, for the amount of deep, dark murder mysteries and, and, and dark stuff that's on TV these days. You know, a lot of stuff, a lot of times the most enjoyable things is, is people turning on their telly and watching other people having a good time. And, and, and I don't think that will be truer than, than the six or 12 months post this lockdown that we're, we're having right now. Um, I think there's going to be a, a real shift in, in the type of television and film that, that gets made. I think there has to be as well. And I think, as you say, watching people have fun is what we want to do. Is there, there's, there's a lot of... Uh, I'm watching Tiger King at the moment. I don't know if you've seen that oh, yet. Oh, we just watched... We just oh, started the boom. first episode last night. I can't wait. I can't wait to get... If we could hurry this up, we've got a couple of episodes, mate. <laughs> but the thing is, you're like, this is real, which is scary. But at the same time, it's it's like something that's sort of stuff oh, you want to watch because it's gripping, but it's fun. Like, and you laugh at these people oh, and yeah. stuff. Oh, and totally. it's just it's just hilarious. So... Yeah. When you when you finished up with neighbours and you now you've moved gone to the UK, you've done all that sort of stuff. There is a rumour that you used to live with uh, Robbie Williams. What, what happened there? Tell me that story. Yeah, I uh, I moved over to the UK. I did pantomime uh, over there, so a bit of live theatre, and then I I got cast as um, Jesus in in a musical Godspell, and we toured Godspell, and the other um, we toured a bit for about sixteen weeks around the UK, and the other Pardon me, the other lead actor in Godspell was um, a guy called Jonathan Wilkes, who was best friends with Robbie Williams. Yep. And they'd just done the Albert Hall, Royal Albert Hall, Swing When You're Winning concert, which what was a, great a, concert a famous that was. thing. Yep. Great concert. So Johnny was in that. They sang Me and My Shadow together. And so they were quite, they were, they were pretty well known at the time. That was, um, that was, I mean, that was in Robbie's glory years. That was kind of rock DJ and all that kind of stuff. You know, that was right in the, in the, in the wheelhouse for him. He was the biggest star. In, in you know England at the time and around the world, it's pretty huge. So, so I um I spent six months just um, knocking it around the UK with Johnny, and then on the weekends we'd go back to to Robbie's house in in London, and that's where we'd spend Saturday nights and Sundays, and then Monday morning we'd pack up the car and drive to the next theatre and and uh and stay in some B and B, God knows where, <laughs> in the middle of nowhere. You know, doing doing pantomime or sorry, doing Godspell in you know Stoke on Trent or Southampton or you know Halifax or, or Newcastle or wherever yeah. we went. You know, it's like we I saw Edinburgh, actually I remembered off by heart. It was Edinburgh, Stoke, Bath, Woking, Brighton, Milton Keynes, Norwich, Newcastle, Torquay, <laughs> Wimbledon, Birmingham. We did lots, mate. we did lots. I could tell you, what, I could, I could point you to a few good curry houses. Mate, I'll tell you, I'll tell you that. But, and uh, so that, that would have been pretty surreal though, doing that during the week and then going back and living with a rock star. It was, um, it was, it was, it was, you know, I, I, I worry for my parents now, you know, I was 21 at the time. I'd, I'd ring home every, every week, you know, before FaceTime and, and Skype or anything like that. Yeah. Um, you know, ring up and how you doing? Good. What are you doing? Oh, we're just you know, but I'm staying back at Robbie's. And actually, one of the times I think he was he would he just moved to the states. So when he wasn't there, I was living in his bedroom. You know, I was living, <laughs> I was sleeping in his bed and and living in his room, which was in oh shoot, sorry, uh, with literally one of the um entire floors in his house. You know, it was like. I just really landed my ass over there, to be honest. You know, <laughs> but uh, but they were they were good good guys, and they were very very generous to me. And um, 
and we actually we were just going to try and catch up recently down at the Grand Prix in Melbourne, but it was cancelled. But um, look, nothing, nothing but gratitude and, and and high praise for those boys. They they look after me when I was very young and finding my way, and um, I've always been very very appreciative of their friendship. So now you're nearly forty. So I had to bring that up again. Um, you, are you still in contact with all these guys? <laughs> Uh, you know, I found that I found that in LA. That LA was just such a melting pot and, and such a central point for for so many people throughout the entirety of my career. Um, people I've worked with in Melbourne, people I've worked with in Sydney, people I've worked with in London, um, and so we've got mutual kind of connections over there. I haven't seen um, Robbie or Johnny for a while, but we're we're in, in touch a little bit. Um, you know, as everybody is on on social media or whatnot these days, but um, yeah. That was that was one of the uh, key components of of living a successful time in in Los Angeles was was having friends over there that you'd known for more than the time you lived in LA. Yeah. Otherwise, LA is a really lonely city, and so you know I had friends like sorry, that's my mum trying to mum go away. I'm sorry. I'm trying. No, to, you can more yeah. than happy for you to answer your mum's phone call while we're having a podcast. Hi, mum. Oh, she's annoying me. She's, my mum's in isolation. Those mine. Hang on. And uh, all they're doing is drinking gin <laughs> just twenty four seven. She's even got the local. She's got the local seafood shop to deliver seafood to their door. So she rang up this this, this Greek seafood guy down on the south coast of, of Sydney. It's like, oh, do you deliver? He's like, no, we don't deliver. Of course not. We don't deliver. You've got to come in and get it. Mum's like, well, we can't drive in and get it. We're supposed to. Mum's 70, your partner's 80. We can't get down and pick it up. No, you have to come in and pick it up. We don't. Anyway, slowly over the course of seven days, I got a message last night going, Mum's finally talked the guy from, from the seafood uh, wholesaler <laughs> to deliver it to their door. <laughs> so I don't, know, I don't know how many prawns and oysters she had to buy, but she sweet talked the way into it. So they're fine down there in quarantine. They're, they're, they're fine. Mate. They're drinking gin and eating seafood. You gotta love it. Oh, absolutely. You know, <laughs> we've, we've touched on this a little bit. Your wife. How did that happen? Yes. How did, during we, this all um, this time, but when you're overseas and stuff, were you single? You're dating. What? How was that all working? And then before you found the one. Um, I was single when I moved to London when I was 21. I um, had a couple of back to back relationships through my twenties. Um, and no, look, I think it's fair to say I was a serial monogamist. You know, I always valued a, a good longer term relationship than, than anything short term. Um, uh, and then I met my wife on, actually we met on the, on the press day for wild boys. So we, um, We'd both been living in LA together. We'd never met each other. Um, we both moved back to Australia to get cast as the leads in Wild Boys, and we met at the press day. And oh wow! That was it. it was like, oh, you guys, you're nice. I'm nice. We're cool. We're nice. We're doing well. <laughs> we played lovers on the show, um, and um, and that was about a nine month shoot, eight and nine month shoot. And uh, mum. No way, sorry. <laughs> and uh, and uh, it um, it took us six months to kind of finally uh, acknowledge that there was a little bit of uh, frisson off off screen as well as on. And yeah. um, by the time the shoot ended, uh, we'd kind of were in the early stages of dating, and uh, that was the end of 2011. We moved to LA, back to LA together in 2012, when we got married in 2015. And did you do the whole get down on one knee thing? How the how the proposal goes? Is it a good story or just a couple of gins and some so, uh, seafood? Uh, look, it's oh, look, no, it's it's um, I I my mum is a jeweller, so I, I didn't have much of a choice there. Mum did the rings. <laughs> um, I had a very valuable lesson when mum brought home the diamonds and uh, and uh, and I said, oh no, those they look too big, mum. They look huge. And mum was like, there's no such thing as a diamond that's too big. I was like, oh, okay, so thank you. Thank you, mum. So she saved my, saved my bacon there. Um, but, mate, no, there, was a, there was a bottle of champagne, and I did get down on one knee at one well point. Done. But that was But that was after I'd sort of said, I think the initial proposal was, do you want to? And so I was like, yeah. I was like, really? Do you want to? Yeah. 
Okay. And then I got down on one knee because I knew the I knew the answer. Oh, that's um, right. Then. And, you might uh, be embarrassed. And that was it. So that was um, uh, that was uh, December 2014, and we got married a year later, December end of November 2015, and uh, and then and then um, and then we had our, our first child last year so we're um, we're doing we're doing the parenting and yeah man thank you very much your little boy so four months old four months man you uh you must be getting yeah. any sleep or are you starting to sleep now what's funny everyone keeps asking how you survive in quarantine and it's pretty much the same as just having a newborn <laughs> being a parent of a boy <laughs> just don't leave, don't, leave, don't leave the house mate you know <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like having a child you know it's just the same thing oh, well, I, I love um, the yeah. fact you light up when you talk about your missus that doesn't happen enough these days and uh oh, thank and, you mate and the fact that uh family first i got four kids and uh I couldn't be happier um, in regards to that bad piece. Uh, that's all good. Yeah, thank you. No, look, I was always, I was always very fortunate that we, um, you know, my, my brother's got three daughters. Uh, my my parents, even though my parents are separated, uh, I've got a younger brother and a younger sister. We're we're always really, we've always been really close, um, and we're a little dysfunctional family, but we're all very, very, um, we all value family, and and Zoe's the same, and her family the same, and and. Um, so no, it's, no, you're absolutely right, man. Especially as, as as you go through times like these, and and um, particularly this this kind of time now, where where life is on sort of hiatus for for ninety percent of the people, that, that you really do start valuing time with 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 your family and and times um, where you really value your, your own health and and these kind of times where they without distraction, where you can just um, just settle down at home and and uh, enjoy some time together before life Indeed, goes back mate. to its crazy, crazy self. Let's embrace this and not hate it. That's why I look at it. That's the only way. The only way. Also, resistance is exhausting. Yeah, you can, 100%. You can keep resisting. You're fine. You're just, you're just going to blow yourself out. So no, exactly. Gotta go mate, flow. I always like to sort of finish our conversations with some sort of quick fire questions. So if you don't mind. Okay. Okay, here we go. When was the first time you were ever recognised? Oh, it was uh, probably a shopping centre in Melbourne. Um, I just started Neighbours, but I wasn't on air yet. But they recognised me from being um, Dolly's most dateable guy. Hey, there's, a, there's something we didn't touch on. Hey, back to Dolly. I used to uh, get Dolly of my friends and read Dolly Doctor, obviously. But uh, uh, yeah. that must have been. Uh, my next question is what's your greatest achievement in life? And obviously being Dolly's greatest... Uh, Dolly's, Dolly's most dateable guy. Yeah, well, no, that was that was only surpassed by uh, being two-time back-to-back uh, Dolly's Prince of TV, <laughs> um, which I think I was the only guy ever to go back-to-back. So I was pretty happy back with that. Back-to-back. Woo-hoo! <laughs> <laughs> the achievements in life. <laughs> That's it. So when, what, when that happens at eight, 18 and 19, where do you go from there? You know, oh, mate, there is no exactly. Who, what, Logie? Who cares? Hey, um, so what, what would you say is your greatest achievement in life? Oh, look, um, oh, look, without doubt, it, it is my son. You know, that's that's something that's changed my life, obviously, in, in the last couple of months. Um, greatest achievement in life. Whew. That's a tough one. Um, stumped you. Yeah, stumped me. Um, I, think, I think probably the most satisfying, I think the most satisfying personal achievement that I've done would be either a toss-up between achieving my childhood dream of going and qualifying and racing a Hawaiian Ironman, which, which I had to do over a course of a couple of years while working seven days a week through a Melbourne winter. Um, and also the, the journey that it took me to do a complete career and life 180 and, and and restart and rebuild a career in the US um, to get to that point to now be playing a leading role in a you know, international series produced by HBO. That was, that was, uh, I've had a couple of moments where, wow, well, cause we got over there and you were not working. You didn't know where your next paycheck was coming from. You didn't know how, if, if you'd made a massive mistake and then, so yeah, that to, to to overcome all of that and to be where I am now, um, I'm very proud of that achievement. Oh, that's that's awesome. Who's the person who or people have made the most influence on your career or you personally? Um, 
my first triathlon coach, Eric Hunter. Uh, I spent a lot of time with, with Eka. Uh, we started training together when I was maybe 13 years old. Um, and, and he was uh, a great friend and a, and a great influence. Um, I mean, it sounds so cliche. My, my parents are pretty exceptional. I mean, they, they're... I mean, you can't put them in a room together, but they're um, <laughs> yeah, individually, they're, <laughs> individually, they're, they're just they're just great, great characters. My mum is a is a is a, is a complete extrovert. She's um, an only child, and so she was always adopting stray, strays and strangers. You know, you never yeah. know, you never knew who was going to be at our kitchen bench for for, for dinner uh, each night, and that um, acceptance, understanding, um, instant. Um, trust, instant um, love that that she gave all around the place um, is is something that I've. Her open heartedness, uh, her immediate open heartedness, is something that I've, I've I've taken away from 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 my mother, and she's she's incredible. Uh, and my dad taught me the the value of, of discipline and hard work, and and getting getting your head down and your bum up, and and you can. He basically said. You can have and do whatever you want. You just got to work for it. Back cool all too. And that was it. Was as simple as that. And I was and I was like, if both my parents together said and when they were together, it was like, you can do whatever you want in life. We will support you. And so knowing that, and he, and they said that to each of you know each of the, the kids. I mean, that's incredible to have have parents that, that do that and say that because then there's you, you're not letting anyone down, you're not doing anything wrong, and you, you know you, you're doing stuff because you want to. So that was that was that was some big ones. Um, and now you're and, a father, you can pass it on yeah, to your kid. Absolutely, you know. And I've been so um, I've been so blessed to, around the world to, to have so many adoptive. Fathers or families or mentors, you know, because I've been on the road now for twenty something years. You know, there was a majority of that time I was only home for a couple of months a year. Yeah. Um, that I, that I've met some some great people along the way, but this is a wonderful time now. Myself becoming a father has really um really changed my relationship with my father, and, and being home now in this time, um, we're spending a lot of time together, and and uh, it's a wonderful time for 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 that part of my life. Awesome. Okay, here's the quick fire ones. Favorite food? Um, mangoes. Favorite song? Um, Suspicious Minds by Elvis. Oh, love it. Favorite place in the world? Um, either my house at Sunshine Beach or uh, the Croatian Islands. Okay, and what's next for Daniel McPherson? Uh, I'm taking a nice little hiatus right now um, as uh, most of the world has shut down. I head back to Europe to start work on a, on a new TV series uh, later this year, and uh, I'm writing and developing um, a bunch of TV and film projects, and uh, hopefully next year we'll... Um, We'll be filming on a on a TV series that I've been producing and, and developing myself. So head down, bum up, and uh, and working hard to do what I want to do, mate. Excellent, mate. Well, as far as I'm concerned, you're an awesome human, and thank you so much for joining me today on this podcast. We really appreciate it, and mate, to be able to get content like this out there to the uh, the masses at the moment, whilst they're stuck in their homes, is really important to us. So I really appreciate you as a human, and uh, and I really appreciate your time today. Mate, thank you so much. Look, like I said, an absolute honour to, uh, to to be invited on, mate. So I appreciate you having the chat, and uh, and thank you very much. Good luck, good luck in this uh, in this crazy time. Spread love, not germs. That's my uh, that's my motto right now. <laughs> There's the hashtag: spread love, not yes. germs. I love exactly. it. Exactly. Hey, mate. No, normally, I'd take a uh, a selfie with my uh, with my guest, but obviously, uh, that's very difficult to do on the screen here. Yeah. So what what yeah. I'm going to do is I think I can actually, uh, I think I can do this. So if you give me a nice big smile, I reckon I can take a screenshot. Hang on. Oh, shit, wrong button. Bonza, you're a good man.
Thanks, Dan. What we'll do yes, is we'll, look, we'll let you know when awesome, this is all going go, out. Chat. And, uh, yeah, Thank mate, you. if you wouldn't mind spreading it out via your socials, that'd be awesome as well. Happy to, of course. Excellent, right, Dan. Thanks it's very been a much. Pleasure. I'm going to call mum back. Ring mum, ring mum. Come ring mum. See you, buddy. Bye-bye. Hey guys, thanks for listening and what an amazing human. Don't forget to hit us up on all the social channels. Search for Podfire on Instagram and Facebook or find me at BJ Macker and look out for all our Podfire podcasts.